France. Here on AM 1420, The Answer. Number two underway. Thanks for being with us. Seven minutes after the hour, 10 o'clock on this uh, Tuesday, the first morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2020. We're foregoing the Reagan Open Hour number two so we can dive right into it with our guests. But, wow, uh, the news just keeps coming at us fast and furious. Um, Michigan illegally counted over or ignored over 500,000 ballots, according to the lawsuit that has been filed there by Trump legal team members. Um that doesn't mean a whole lot at this point in time because the Trump legal team has filed lawsuits in numerous states, and each one of them has been kicked out. And everyone says, well, it's fine until we get to the Supreme Court. But uh, the question is is whether that will ever happen. Even the president said in uh, Sunday's interview with Maria Bartiromo that it's really, really hard to get something to the Supreme Court, which is why things are sounding less and less um, likely that um, President Trump will be successful in these challenges. Which leads us to Tom Zawistowski's uh, solution to all of this, and you just heard it for the last half an hour. Tom Z and the We the People Convention have taken out a full-page ad in the Washington Times saying that it's time for the president to declare limited martial law and uh, follow in the footsteps of Abraham Lincoln in taking extraordinary measures to save uh, democracy, quite frankly, in this country. All right, let's bring in our guest. You know who he is because it's Tuesday. It's Peter Kersenow. Peter, of course, is a uh, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's a Cleveland attorney. He's a best-selling author. He's a host of the Kersenow Report. And he is a writer for the National Review Online, which is not exactly my favorite uh, online publication right now. And we'll talk to Pete about why. Pete, good morning. How are you, sir? And not too bad. You know, in the middle of a blizzard here, I'm sitting here in, uh, you know, 200 Public Square, which usually has thousands of um, tenants, but uh, I think there's like four people in the entire building. There's hardly anybody here to begin with, but uh, today I think the combination of coronavirus and the weather has caused everybody to stay home. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. Uh, it's, if you don't have to be, I think there's a level one road emergency, snow emergency uh, in some places because it's uh, just that uh, that bad. That's Cleveland. Right you know, man, <laughs> get used to it. Okay, Pete. Um, so much ground to cover here. My goodness gracious. Um, before we talk, I do want to ask you about Tom Z and uh, what he just brought up, and he uh, he made a really really strong case in uh, calling to, uh, you know, looking to President Lincoln as perhaps the model for taking extraordinary steps in times of uh, national emergencies like this in which the republic may be in jeopardy. And uh, he, he made a very strong case that it is. I'll ask you about that after I ask you about the legal challenges that have been unsuccessful thus far, which has brought, you know, uh, an extreme measure like the one Tom just talked about. Why isn't President Trump and his team getting any traction in courtrooms, whether they be Obama or Clinton-appointed judges or even Republican-appointed judges uh, in appellate courts? For example, Pennsylvania's 3rd District uh, Appellate Court. Um, Tom, everything they bring up, they've got sworn affidavits, they've got all of these irregularities that they're bringing up, they're all being kicked uh, the judge is saying there's no evidence here to act on. And um, the president then said it's really, really hard to get anything to the Supreme Court. He doesn't sound confident that's going to happen. So what does that tell you? As an attorney familiar with the court system, as, as anybody is, um, we're losing. We're losing on those cases, on those grounds anyway, as far as uh, you know, talking about the election fraud or the, uh, or the individual voter fraud. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, uh, what it tells you is that it's very difficult to establish voter fraud, extraordinarily difficult, and that's why it's so important to get ahead of it before it actually occurs. I think, a broad, big picture, um, knowing your listeners as I do, because I, well, before coronavirus, I would speak to them on a regular basis. I think that most, well, the stats show that 68% of all Republicans, and, you know, that includes Republicans of the um, uh, variety that, you know, you read about National Review, for example, believe that the election was stolen, that there was fraud. And I think that there is a mountain of evidence to substantiate that. And merely because it's, there's a line from several different movies that I've seen. Uh, one of the movies, I can't remember which one it was, but it was with Denzel Washington, where he says, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. And most yeah, that's of us trading day. Know, and that's yeah. trading day, and, and yeah, that's a very important point. I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you, can you go, I don't want to interrupt your role. Go ahead. I'll follow up, follow up with my Yeah, very, very quickly. I mean, I think it's self-explanatory. We know a lot of things. We've looked at the incredible number of anomalies, astonishing anomalies, statistical. We've got some of the best statisticians around, computer forensic scientists around, who say this cannot happen. There's, there's no way in the world this could have happened. We look at all the other circumstantial evidence that has been reflected in the affidavits that have been appended to the um, various lawsuits that have been filed, and we say, look, this, this is ridiculous. But then proving that is extraordinarily difficult for a host of reasons that your listeners are probably aware of. First of all, Democrats are very good at this. They're very practiced in those areas. Yes. Places like Philadelphia, it's well known. Um, you know, and it, 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 all these anomalies, by the way, and I've lost count of them. There are scores of them, literally. Uh, all the anomalies, very peculiarly, go in the direction of Biden. They all favor Biden, which is in itself a gigantic, overarching anomaly. So, was there fraud in this election? Absolutely. But proving it is another matter, because trying to collate and then compare uh, mail-in ballots with actual vote totals, because we've seen in certain states where they didn't even keep a record of who had voted. Uh, there were there were so many failings in terms of the verification systems that are imposed on the various states when they count. And each one has a little bit different uh, system, but uh, so many of them failed, and they all failed in the critical states. Again, another anomaly. They all were in the, 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 the swing states necessary for Biden to win in order to prevail in this election. So that's what it is. It's very difficult to prove these things, and that's why you want to get ahead of it. Um, a, a, one of my colleagues in the Civil Rights Commission is one of the best election law experts in the country, uh, Christian Adams. And uh, he just was appointed by Trump a couple of months ago. And I've been in touch with Christian about this. In fact, I interviewed Christian on your program when I substituted for you several months ago. And uh, he is as rock-rib conservative as they get and uh, is also a hard charger. He will not cry uncle until the last dog is dead. Uh, and he says, you know, it's extraordinarily difficult to establish um, what Trump's trying to establish. It's not to say it can't happen. I think that, uh, you know, your listeners should not lose hope at this point, but you've got to be rational about it. Uh, there are a number of other paths to to potential victory. You know, Tom uh, Zawistowski has outlined one of them. I have not heard. I did not hear the last segment, so I don't know all of the details. So I really uh, don't I'll feel confident. for you in a moment. Yeah. Um, but he's a serious individual that I respect and, uh, and I love his analyses. This is going to be difficult. And the, one of the 
other reasons why it will be difficult is because, and not to say, understand, when I say difficult, I don't mean impossible or even improbable. I just think that it's going to be difficult for the president to prevail on uh, some of these challenges. But remember that that's not, I, I think, and I don't know this, uh, but I think one of the overarching aims of the entire effort is not so much to you know, uncover fraudulent votes to overturn an election in a given state, but to establish enough uncertainty as to provide electors with a plausible basis upon which they could vote, quote-unquote, contrary to the alleged popular vote in their respective states. There are enough states that don't require electors to vote for the majority candidate, the candidate selected by the majority of voters in that state, to either put the the election in doubt, which would throw it then to the various state legislatures, or um, to overturn the uh, uh, putative results of this election so far. Again, uphill challenge, but I think there's enough there. Aside from all of that, okay. and again, this sounds like... You know, Pete, Pete, if I don't jump in, I'm not going to be able to get back. To, Pete, if I don't jump in now, I'm not going to get back to some of the stuff from a few minutes ago. Let me let me interrupt you, then you can pick up from there because I'm already losing it. Um, back to the part about they're good at this, Peter, uh, Chris, and I. Yeah. You're right, and and I can already. You mentioned the Denzel Washington line and, uh, from Training Day, and it's so true that you know I can already see the Democratic operatives saying it's not what you know, it's what you can prove, and this is what we are going to do because they're never going to be able to prove it. And we go across yep. all of the different avenues. Um, they're good at this; they have done it for a long, long time, and they know how to cover their tracks. And that's why we're sitting here uh, looking at all of these challenges. I mean, even the recounts, Pete. They just recounted in Wisconsin the partial recount that the Trump administration paid or Trump campaign paid, I think, $3 million for, and the recount found 87 more votes for Biden. They yeah. keep on winning in all, uh, in all of these challenges, which brings us to, I want to talk about Tom, and you referenced it, but you said you didn't hear his interview. So I'm going to give you the summary, and then I want to let you respond to it before you move on to the next level here. What Tom uh, is proposing and what the We the People Convention paid for a full-page ad in the Washington Times today to say is that, uh, President Lincoln, uh, in the months starting the uh, following the start of the Civil War, uh, tried to preserve the Union and struggled greatly. And in 1863, he took some extraordinary measures. And he talked about he basically suspended habeas corpus. He ordered the arrest of newspapers uh, owners and editors for, for speaking out against him and what he was trying to do with the war. Uh, Chief Justice. Uh, ruled that Lincoln had violated the U.S. Constitution when he illegally suspended the writ of habeas corpus. But after hearing of this, Lincoln signed an arrest warrant to have the Chief Justice arrested, which is pretty incredible. And bottom line is, uh, Lincoln knew the threat to the Union was so enormous, he had to take extraordinary measures in order to do it. Now, you know, after a couple hundred years go by, people are, you know, most of us are saying Lincoln is probably our best president. So Tom's suggestion is, this is what President Trump has to do. He has to take extraordinary measures that are going to be very, very, very unpopular now, as were Lincoln's then, but will be judged by history as being the right thing to do to preserve democracy. He said that limited martial law must be declared and that the military must conduct a new election, a revote, one that is very specifically uh, going to be um, uh, preserved in this way, quote, 
and this is part of his press release in, in releasing the uh, uh, the call and in the and that ad. Um, to declare limited martial law to temporarily suspend the Constitution and civilian control of these federal elections in order to, uh, to have the military implement the national revote that reflects the true will of the people. It would include federal candidates only, paper ballots, no computers, hand counted with both parties watching, only registered voters, photo ID to prove residency in their states, conducted safely with everyone wearing masks and six feet apart, just as we did in Ohio. Now, that is beyond uh, extreme. It is extraordinary to say we're going to throw out an election and we're going to redo it with the military overseeing it. But Tom's argument was that is the only way that the people will have a true, even if Joe Biden wins, that the people will be able to say, okay, I can trust the the results of this election. So that's an extreme measure, but his argument is these are extreme times, and if we allow to happen what has happened, Peter Kirstenau, it could lead to something as as dangerous as the actual civil war that Lincoln was trying to deal with. The the remedies that Tom has outlined there are spot on. They're precisely what needs to be done. I'm again w- without having thought about this. When you when you talk about something that is Tom acknowledges that extraordinary, taking a measure like that, I think you want to deliberate upon that. And I'm hesitant to to opine upon it, other than just say context is extremely important. Um, Lincoln was in a different place than we are today. Not to say that we're not in extraordinary times today, and I do think that this has been a fraudulent election. But going back to know what you know and what you can prove, in Lincoln's time, we knew certain things and we could prove certain things. There was clear insurrection. There was a serious threat to the republic. And not to say that this isn't a serious threat, but let's face it, that was a shooting war back then. That was that was an extraordinary time uh, that is different in kind and degree than what we're experiencing today. And the context is also important. I think that if uh, the president tried to do something like that, it would be an extraordinary measure that would uh, cause such an incredible rift in the, the country that I'm not sure we could repair it. Um, I, I understand everything that Tom is saying. I just think that it's something that probably isn't plausible. Um, I don't think we've got the will, among other things, to do it among the classes of people who would be necessary to make it happen. That meaning that you, first of all, I don't think the president would do it. I don't think his advisors would advise him to do it. I don't think that uh, Republicans at almost any level would find a majority of them to support that. Uh, so I, I don't think that it's plausible. I think you're having, right. having said that, uh, you know, whether or not something should be done and can be done are two separate, separate things. Uh, if it could be done, um, you know, it's something that maybe we, we should think about. I don't think it can be done because I don't think that there's political will to do that. However, I want to bifurcate it and go back to what I said at the outset. Mm-hmm. All of the remedies Tom talks about are things that needed to have been done the day before yesterday should have been done decades ago and unfortunately republicans and others have allowed the democrats progressives to constantly erode the the safeguards that we have in place such as the voter id the the mail ballot was just we knew that going in at the outset of this back in april may when people were talking about mail ballots everyone was sounding the alarm saying this is subject to enormous fraud. The outcome of the election is going to be in doubt. We all pointed to Pennsylvania. Everybody said, look, Trump wins except for fraud in Pennsylvania and maybe some other places too. So all of this was predictable. And that's why I think 
one of the values that Tom presents here is, I, again, I don't think it's going to happen, but the value of it is to sound the alarm and start the process now. As soon as we talk about you know, the Georgia runoff elections, for example, we are allowing the systems to be in place that yielded the same results that we have right now. I mean, it, it, the, the concern about the Georgia runoff is I think that um, Leffler and Purdue win if it's a fair vote. And that's the big if. Uh, these systems are still in place all over the place, and they need to be remedied immediately. Peter Kersenow is our guest on AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah, they do need to be remedied immediately, and I do want to talk to you about the Georgia elections as we continue as well. That'll be coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, we continue now at 1026. A short segment here for Peter Kersenow, but I want to talk about Georgia. We'll probably have to extend this into the next segment as well because... Um, um, because there are two different things here. One is the Georgia recount and uh, the fraud that we believe, that many believe, uh, took place in the presidential election. But then the second is whether or not things are going to be any different in the January 5th runoff elections for the Senate. Peter, I want to ask you your thoughts on the uh, Secretary of State in Georgia, who is a Republican, the governor of Georgia, who is a Republican, and their continued pushback against the president and claims of electoral fraud. Listen, this is just from yesterday, the Georgia Secretary of State, Raffensperger. Everyone in Georgia will be able to have even more confidence in the results of our elections. Despite the massive amounts of misinformation that is being spread by dishonest actors, there are those who are exploiting the emotions of many Trump supporters with fantastic claims, half-truths, misinformation, and frankly, they are misleading the president as well, apparently. Half-truths, misinformation, fantastic claims. This is, again, uh, Pete, this is the Republican Secretary of State saying all of these allegations about electoral fraud in Georgia are wrong, that this was a free and fair election. Your your thoughts on that, given the fact that this is a member of the president's own party? Yeah. Well, um, first of all, I don't know that individual. I don't know what where he comes from, what he stands for, you know, whether he's a never-Trumper, whether or not he's completely on top of everything that's going on. But there were anomalies in Georgia that are readily apparent. Again, uh, maybe not sufficient to overturn the outcome of the election. Perhaps they would overturn the outcome of the election. But, uh, and again, not to ascribe any nefarious motives to the Secretary of State of Georgia, but he's got a proprietary interest in making sure that it is seen that the election that he conducted, he's in charge of Georgia, was done fairly. There were a lot of allegations made with respect to the equipment that was being used that before uh, the election, everyone was was wailing about and saying, you shouldn't be using this this approach. And, uh, you know, so if he wants to be reelected, he can't have admitted that he's presided over a catastrophe of an election. But Ann, I don't want to ascribe, you know, nefarious motives to him or, you know, proprietary motives to him. Uh, but the fact is, if you look at the evidence, it does appear that there were serious problems with the manner in which the election was conducted in Georgia. Um, you're going to see, and we have seen, lots of quote-unquote Republicans over the last four years who, um, again, I, I don't want to ascribe ill motives to them, but... Um, we are in extraordinary times, as Tom Z has indicated, and uh, they, they require extraordinary measures. What about the motives of the governor, though, Pete? But President Trump 
endorsed and campaigned, in a manner of speaking, pretty heavily for Brian Kemp uh, in that race against Stacey Abrams. And uh, he is doing the same thing that the Secretary of State is, essentially saying our election was fair. Uh, he is, And President Trump said over the weekend he's, he regrets ever having endorsed him. Yeah, I think that, um, look, as I said, I think the same kind of dynamic applies to the governor as to the state, uh, the Secretary of State, with a couple of other issues. Um, I think that... Um, he may have a concern that if it appears voters, Trump voters, who happen to be Republican, believe that the state of Georgia and its Republican leadership somehow botched this election, that they may stay home, that they may not vote in the runoff election or vote perhaps in a way that would be unexpected, just as kind of a protest. There's a real concern about that, that, um, you know, the dissatisfaction that Trump voters have with Georgia Republicans could manifest itself in the runoff. So that's a real issue. And there's been a lot of people who've been trying to address that. Trump is going down there to rally voters down there. So it, that could be part of it. I don't, I don't know what the so reason is. Some are is. saying that the president is contributing to that, maybe unwittingly, because if he is criticizing yes. the secretary of state and the governor, he, he may be, you know, uh, essentially telling voters down there that you can't trust it and uh, it's not even worth the time. And, of course, we know how extraordinarily incorrect that is. This, these two Senate runoff uh, uh, races literally will decide the future of this republic literally whether or not this republic survives um because i think we all know the repercussions if they have unchecked power in both houses of congress and the white house pete let me hold off there and uh we'll talk more about that as we continue after the news on am 1420 the answer Okay, 1037 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer, with our friend Peter Kersenow. And, Pete, I've, I, you know, I wanted to talk about COVID restrictions to you, Supreme Court decisions with Cuomo and other things, but we're just going to stay on this election situation and the ramifications. All right, Pete, so I just, we just kind of talked about Georgia and whether or not uh, the vote is going to be suppressed in Georgia uh, for GOP voters that they feel like they can't trust it because of the elections officials there, the Secretary of State, the Governor, and so forth. But let's talk about how extraordinarily important it is for um, uh, the Republicans to prevail, for Purdue and Leffler to to defeat uh, 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 their Democrat challengers. Peter, (laughs) packing the courts is only the beginning. Packing the courts, uh, um, uh, eliminating the filibuster, the legislative filibuster, they will be able to green light and pass and push through every single dream that they had ever had in their, in their socialist progressive minds if we don't hold the Senate and we don't hold, have that one roadblock, if you will, to the, to the radical Harris Biden agenda. And yes, I said that in that order intentionally. So, um, what what do you what is your message? Not that people in Georgia are listening to us right now, but what is your message about this? Um, what should the president do? What 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 do we have to have happen there? And also, by the way, to eliminate the same type of fraud that resulted in the Biden you know Biden winning the the you know the state of Georgia in the presidential election. How do we how do we fight and combat that, knowing what the stakes are, Peter? Yeah, it's, it's it's what you just stated. Everything you just said in another context might have been seen as hyperbole. Four years ago, we may have said that's hyperbole. Maybe yeah. because we didn't realize the extent to which the Democrats slash progressives would um, push their radical agenda and to conclusion. 
And I think that they, they see this as, for them, a light at the end of the tunnel moment, that they have an ability here to achieve what they've never been able to do, and they've got the entire media behind them. They, they have prevailed twice now, both in terms of Russia collusion, for which there's no consequences, apparently. You can engage in this kind of endeavor, which many of us have said was an attempted coup. Um, that sounds extraordinarily to, to say something like that in a sober fashion in the United States of America, but I would ask somebody to debate me on that and, and tell me why it wasn't, because all extant evidence seems to suggest precisely that. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment. Whatever Republicans slash conservatives feel about the nominal standard bearers for the Republicans, whether you have a problem with, you know, the governor of the state of Georgia, whether you've got a problem with Leffler or Purdue or any of these other people, it's extraordinary. To, it's, it's an extraordinary time. It's imperative that we do whatever we can. I rarely, if ever, contribute to a candidate. It's just what I, I just don't do it. Um, no particular reason for it. But in this particular case, uh, I am going to be sending some money down to Georgia because it's mm. imperative that we prevail in this case. And I would exhort your listeners to do whatever they could. And I don't, you know, whatever that may be. It could be writing letters. It could be sending money, whatever it might, you think you have the capacity of doing, because believe me that the Democrats see this as the holy grail and hundreds of millions are being poured um. in by their rich donors. It's an it's extraordinary event here. I don't think that left to their own devices, if it was a fair fight, that Georgians would pick um, Ossoff and uh, what's his name uh, to Warnock. Uh, uh, Warnock, right? I mean, we're talking about again. We're talking about AOC clones here. Uh, this is uh, <laughs> you, you can't even begin to believe what what they are saying. It, it, you read it and you go like, Are these people actual adults? Are they are, are they competent? Uh, because they say just things that are on their face. Anybody over the age of twenty five and has had a little bit of experience with the real world would say this is nuts. It doesn't work. But worse than that, they are on a mission to, uh, you've just described a few of the things that they plan on doing in terms of packing the courts, eliminating the electoral college, adding states. They've been saying this for, forthrightly. Schumer's been talking about yeah. it. This is not coming from the fringe elements of the Democratic Party. This is coming from They're their core. Yes, exactly right. Sure, uh, Chuck, if, that's why uh, Chuck uh, Schumer. That's what Chuck Schumer meant when he said, "We'll change America," uh, which, yep. of course, is just extraordinary to hear someone say in a position of power because America doesn't need changing. America is is the greatest force for good in the history of the world. Uh, Pete, to, to, I want to go back to to uh, Trump for two other things. Now, the president, as we've noted, um, you know, is still fighting, but he is admitting that this is an extraordinary uphill climb, uh, as you talked about as well. He said it's very hard to get a case into the Supreme Court, and it is. Uh, he has openly talked about running again in 2024 he has openly well we know this that he greenlit the uh beginning of the transfer of power process so we know he is fighting but he is realistic about his chances here so to that end i want to ask you this do you think he needs to pardon himself and his family on his way out the door democrats are openly calling for the new sec uh the new uh, uh attorney general who whomever that may be for for joe biden to investigate and prosecute and lock him up lock him up the way that uh, trump supporters once chanted about hillary clinton do you think he needs to pardon himself and his family on his way out the door um this is going to sound strange but yeah i think he does and the reason for that is because i do think that the Democrats will do whatever they can to destroy Trump. Trump is the greatest existential threat to the Democratic Party 
since the Civil War, frankly. Uh, I think that um, they view him and his movement, which is extraordinary, as something that can return to the presidency in four years. They understand that. They look at the playing field out there at other Republicans. And I, I don't mean to disparage other Republicans. I mean, we've got some good folks out there. My favorites happen to be Tom Cotton and, and maybe a Ted Cruz. Maybe not for the presidency, but in terms of Republican leadership, uh, people who are yeah. smart and principled. Uh, but when it comes to moving the center of gravity, the political center of gravity, there has never been, and I've, I've had debates with some of my friends about whether or not Reagan is in the same class, and I will say, my own view is even Reagan is not in the class of Trump. He's a different kind of individual, maybe didn't rub people the wrong way the way Trump has a tendency to do, but sometimes you have to do that to accomplish the extraordinary things that Trump did. That, that Trump did. One of the things that's puzzling to me is why there's a few, and it's very few Republicans, don't seem to understand that and embrace Trump. Trumpism is, for four years, prevented the avalanche of progressivism that we've seen trying to break free over the last four years with the assistance of the media and virtually every other major institution. Without a Trump, it's going to be an extraordinary battle. Now, he's going to be 78 years old in 2024, same age as Biden, but those are two different individuals. This is Trump's party. I expect he's going to be the standard bearer for the party for the next, whether, whether he is for the next presidential cycle, I don't know. But for the next four years, this is his party. And he represents the best pushback to progressivism that we have available to us. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, I, I think he hasn't completely given up, but I think he is sobering up. If you watch the Maria Bartiromo uh, interview. Uh, for a lot of us, it was a little bit dispiriting because we didn't see the kind of yes. um, rallying effect that Trump seems to have. He, he's always undaunted, and uh, you know. Uh, but um, you know, it's difficult. It very it is. I am not going to give up. Um, you know, my support for the continued efforts of the campaign and uh, President Trump until such time as he calls it quits completely. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a sober realization of. It, the fact that it is an uphill battle, and begin making VDH, Victor Davis Hanson, in National Review, uh, stated much the same thing, that it's important to Trump for Trump to fight. It's important for him to be transparent or, or, or lend transparency to the entire process, because even beyond Trump, the process is one that is extraordinarily troublesome and needs to be remedied. But at the end of the day, if there can't be a plausible path to victory, he has to begin to make provision for what's best for the country and the party and himself over the next four years. And I think he'll do that. I think he'll do that if it turns out that he doesn't get the electoral votes he needs. Pete, last thing then. I said I had two things on Trump before we go, and this is the second one. Um, is he losing support from Republicans who previously supported him. Now, when it comes to, and I know you are a contributing writer for National Review. You just referenced Victor Davis Hanson in National Review. Um, so address this as you will, but the editors wrote yesterday of Trump's disgraceful endgame. I don't know if you read it, uh, but it essentially says that what Donald Trump is trying to do right now with all of these court challenges is futile, and it's embarrassing, and it's counterproductive uh, in terms of the party. Um, one of the lines that got to me is he said, um, 
It's his legal right to file suits, of course, but he shouldn't pursue meritless litigation and Hail Mary attempts to get millions of votes tossed out. This is exactly what he's been doing. It's why reputable GOP lawyers have increasingly steered clear, and it's why Trump has suffered defeat after defeat in court. Um, I, I don't know if all of these editors are Never Trumpers who were part of that original Never Trump article in National Review prior to the 2016 election, uh, Pete, Um but they they are coming after him very, very hard. They're telling him not only to concede, but also that the stuff that he's doing to have his day in court and to fight for his, his rights to have a free and fair election, decide whether or not he gets a second term, that what he's doing is wrong and it's harmful to the party. How do you respond to all that? Um, I can't respond on air, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a response in and of itself. Yeah, you would not maintain your license, or the radio station wouldn't. Um, let me be as politic as I possibly can, and just pick, cherry pick a couple of those items because we could talk about this for a couple of hours. But when they said reputable attorneys have still steered clear, the biggest firms in the country with some of the most reputable attorneys gladly signed on until such time as the blowback that they got, which was reprehensible, caused them to peel back. Uh, reputable attorneys didn't have a problem representing Trump. That's just, that's just false. And many of the other things they say are head-scratching, if not outright false also. Yeah, I write for NRO and have for, for 20 years. Um, I am more in the Victor Davis Hanson mold than I am in the mold of anybody else. Uh, at that place, and it's been very disappointing. And maybe I've written my last column for a National Review. Who knows? Uh, but it's been Never Trump for a long time. Obviously, they were the flagship of Never Trump. It's puzzling to me, because I'll tell you why. Um, when I first decided that I was going to be a Republican, it was 30 years ago after the Thomas, uh, Clarence Thomas hearings, I was always a conservative, but I had been you know, a registered Democrat for, for most of my life up until then. Uh, and among other things, you know, you wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to vote in a primary because I'm in an entirely Democrat area. Uh, but nonetheless, I decided that was it. Uh, so I've gone to all these National Review conservative summits. I've gone to these little confabs, and I remember what was said at those places. And I remember all the things they were pining for and you know, striving for, and you know, Reagan was not able to accomplish. And Trump delivered all the things they wanted and more, things that they couldn't even contemplate, things they couldn't even dream of. And yet, what do they do? They cashier him. They say, nope, you know, he's not one of us. Uh, it, I'm, I'm extraordinarily puzzled by that because I listened to what they were saying, and Trump was delivering. Now, he didn't do it in the kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the fashion that maybe they, they wanted. He, you know, he's, he's rough around the edges, and that's precisely the kind of guy you need to accomplish what he accomplished, because guys who get along, go, the Romneys of the world could not have done anything remotely close to what National Review has been calling for for the last 40 years. You needed a Trump to do so. And does it come with some, some burrs and some, some pricks? Sure, it does. I, I bet you I'm, I'm speaking for some of your listeners by saying that that's also one of the things that endeared him to so many of us. He was one of these guys who said, I don't care what you think about me. I'm going to protect my constituents and the United States of America and the United States of America Constitution. And when he said he was going to protect us, one of the things that I think a lot of the Bush Republicans, and I was one, you know, mm-hmm. um, and other Republicans didn't get was, and, and Trump understood implicitly, is when the left and the Democrats and the media and everybody else attacked the Bushes of the world, they didn't fight back. And 
they didn't fight back because they failed to understand that fighting back meant he was fighting back for us, the people who supported him. It was so dispiriting, and we were never dispirited with Donald Trump. Trump never failed us. Well, you know, maybe in little policy issues here or there, we have disagreements with him, but he never stood back and said, okay, I'm going to throw my constituents to the wolves. Never happened, and that's why he's got the most loyal following, at least of my lifetime, of any political uh, figure out there. And I'm hopeful that if things don't work out this year, that in four years, he comes back again, because I think a 78-year-old Trump is better than a 48-year-old anybody else that we could possibly put up, and definitely better than the <laughs> the guy who purports to be uh, president-elect right now, who fractures ankles and forgets what a uh, psalm is, and, you know, I, we, we are in for some really dispiriting times as Americans. Yeah, I, I fear that as well, which is why, just going back to the one subject uh uh, that we still maybe have some control over, which is the victory in uh, two races in Georgia, which makes them so extraordinarily important, uh, because uh, it is very dispiriting anyway. If we lose the Senate, too, it's more than just dispirit. It's uh, it's an end of the republic. It just is an end of the republic, and I'm not overstating that. That is not hyperbolic. And I know you know that, Peter Kirsten. I want everybody else to understand it as well. Peter Kirsten, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for your great analysis. We'll talk soon. Keep fighting, Bob. Thank you. You too, sir. Thank you. 10.52, right back after this. Okay, 10.55. Uh, I know we have not had a lot of time for calls today. We've been very, very heavy with content and guests, so my apologies for that, but I do appreciate uh, you listening today. In fact, if uh, Bob in Medina wants to uh, become our first and maybe last caller of the day, I think we can do that. We we did, because we, I wanted to lay out the case in the first half hour of the show. Then we had Tom Zawistowski for the second half hour, and it's been cursing now ever since. So I do apologize for the lack of availability of the phone lines, but here we are. Bob, you're in Medina, and you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, just a real quick, and I know we have little time. Um, the First Amendment, freedom of speech and freedom, of course, of the press. Mm-hmm. Does that, uh, is there any stipulation on that where it allows the media just to lie? I mean, point blank, just lie? I mean, you know, they hide behind the First Amendment, but yet they don't provide, you know, the uh, U.S. citizens with the truth. I mean, is there any, you know, recourse about that? I mean, or is it they can just wing it? Well, you know, the the difficulty is is improving what is a lie and what isn't. Uh, you know, there's a, there there is half truths. There are, you know, people used to mock the phrase alternate facts, but those are real things. If somebody says, you know, one thing one way and another person says the same thing in a different way, it's the same thing. It's an alternate fact. Um, it's about proving what is a lie. Uh, generally speaking, you know, no, the press is not allowed to libel anyone by printing, you know, lies about them or slander anyone by stating lies about them. But again, if it's somebody's opinion that is, you know, maybe it's an even a, an opinion that is wrong or false, but if, if, if it is rooted in some fact, uh, that somebody has twisted to fit their agenda, you're never going to be able to prove that was just a lie and thus, therefore, you know, somebody is to be held accountable for it. So it, you know, the press is always going to spin, you know, and, and so are people who are covered by the press. That's why after debates, they use, they call them the spin rooms and after primaries and so forth. So they can go out there and actually reframe 
incorrect statements or false statements to make them accurate statements. All of that is dishonesty, all of that is lying, and all of that is legal. Because, again, a lie is sometimes in the eye, of the, in the eye or the ear of the beholder. You know, okay, one more thing real quick. Uh, Bob, uh, thank you. Yeah. God bless you, and you're the man. Thank you. All right, well, thank you. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate the call. I, I wish I had a better answer for that in all seriousness, but, I mean, y- you know, it's the alternate fact thing they mocked conservatives and Republicans for for saying before. It's like, no, 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 here's the alternate fact. An alternate fact is not a lie. An alternate fact is just as much of a fact as the, as the original stated fact is. For example, the glass half full or half empty. It is one fact to say that glass is half full. It is an alternate fact to say that glass is half empty. Both are accurate, but they try to paint one as a lie and the other is not, especially just based on, you know, the speaker. And that's what they do to Donald Trump and have done to Donald Trump from the beginning. You know, they spin it that way in order to make him look like the dishonest one when truthfully, and this is why President Trump has, in my opinion, correctly and justifiably declared the media to be the enemy of the people for the last four years, because they are the ones who are almost always the ones who are guilty of dishonesty, especially in their chosen coverage. All right, that's all the time that I've got. I wish I could talk about that longer, but we'll have to do it tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow on the Bob France Authority. Stay right here for Mike Gallagher next.